I'll invite you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in your Bibles. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11 this morning. This is a new section in 1 Corinthians. Paul switches subjects. Last week, we read what the Lord through Paul teaches about the Lord's Supper. And this week, we're going to see what the Lord through Paul teaches about spiritual gifts. Concerning spiritual gifts. So when Jesus was preparing his disciples for the fact that he was not always going to be with them, that he was going to have to die and be raised from the dead and then ascend into heaven, he told them that when I go, the Father is going to send the Helper. And he was referring to the Holy Spirit. And he actually said, it's it's for your benefit that I go because you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So instead of having God's presence beside you, you'll have God's presence within you. And then Jesus did die for our sins, and he arose from the grave. And when the disciples were with him before he ascended into heaven, he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, gave the great commission. But he said, don't do it yet. I want you to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't try to be the church without the Holy Spirit within you, empowering you. And so we read that the disciples did pray together, and they waited. In Acts chapter 2, we see when the Holy Spirit came, and it was um, miraculous and bizarrely, phenomenally awesome when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. And now, you and I as Christians centuries later, we receive that same promise, Holy Spirit, when we receive Jesus Christ. We receive so much when we become Christians. We are justified, made innocent in God's eyes. We are forgiven of all of our sins and cleansed from all the the guilt and filth of our sins and adopted as God's sons. And also, we receive the Holy Spirit within us. And that is a beautiful, awesome reality that we all enjoy together. Part of having the Holy Spirit is what's known as spiritual gifts. I don't know if all of you have thought a lot about spiritual gifts. Some of you may have taken some of those spiritual gift tests to try to discern what your gifts are. Um, Others maybe haven't really thought about it much. But we're going to think about it this morning together. And the way I'd like to approach our passage is just pointing out three observations from these verses about spiritual gifts. Um, My hope is, looking at this passage and these three observations that we'll come to understand the Holy Spirit more deeply, that we'll come to understand Jesus Christ more deeply, that we'll come to understand the church more deeply, and our own position and role in the church more clearly. So let's read it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, 
and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray together. Father, please open our eyes and ears and hearts to your word, and let it have its full effect on us as individuals and as a collective, as a church. And may we be Spirit-filled Christians, and therefore Spirit-filled church. And please unite us in this, unite us in a humble reception of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The first observation I want to point out is that understanding spiritual gifts starts with the lordship of Jesus Christ. Understanding spiritual gifts starts with the lordship of Jesus Christ. Look back at um, verses 1 through 3 with me. Paul begins... Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, and I just want to point out, the word gifts isn't actually in the original Greek. It's just an adjective. It's almost like he's saying, concerning spiritual, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. It's the same word that we saw used throughout the beginning of 1 Corinthians when Paul was dealing with the fact that these people don't understand the Holy Spirit and they don't understand true Christian spirituality. If you'll remember, if you were here when we were in the first chapters of 1 Corinthians, they didn't understand spiritual wisdom. They didn't understand spiritual things. And here we see they don't understand this aspect of true Christian spirituality, which has to do with gifts. I think gifts is a good translation because with the context, it's clear that's what he's talking about. But overall, these Christians just don't get it about Christian spirituality, about the Holy Spirit and what he does in us and through us in the church. And we may be in a similar position. Often we don't think much about the Holy Spirit and what he does. So we're kind of right there with the Corinthians in learning and growing in our understanding of the Spirit. So he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. So remember, the Corinthian Christians came from a culture of pagan idolatry. Okay, pagan idolatry was out in the open, very common, pagan temples. And so within the church, these adult converts came in with these competing demonic spiritualities, influencing the way they thought and the way they operated. And so where you have, you know, your worldly influences that Christ is untangling and removing from you the more you come into submission to God's word, they did too. And for them, it was a lot of competing demonic spiritualities that they brought into the church with them. And this was causing division once again. This is a very divided church for many reasons, and this is another reason for their division. He goes on, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is the Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, these are some very general principles he gets to here in verse 3. 
The Holy Spirit never leads one to curse Jesus. That's pretty straightforward. The Holy Spirit never leads someone to curse Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is the only spirit that would lead someone to proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the only spirit that would lead someone to see, embrace, submit to, and proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, we don't often talk a lot about spiritual warfare in the church because we're modern Western people. You know, we we don't tend to attribute things to spiritual causes. We feel there's always a medical cause or a psychological cause. But the fact is, spiritual warfare is a very real thing, and there are competing spirits. Okay, there is a Satan. There, there are princes and principalities, as the Bible calls them, at work in the world. Now, some of you may have in mind, when I go there, when I talk about the demonic and the spiritual, you may go to the horror movie level of acute spiritual attack where it's um, just like what we read in the Gospels where people are possessed and um, you know, frothing at the mouth and have extreme strength and, and those things. What I want to call your attention to is the more mundane, pervasive aspect of spiritual warfare. Paul doesn't go into it here, but he does a little bit in the next letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 3, he writes, Even if our gospel is veiled or covered up so people can't see it, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there we see this idea that, that and he's referring to Satan as the God of this world. That Satan has great power and influence over the world system apart from Christ. And through this world system apart from Christ, he blinds the eyes of unbelievers and veils the gospel so they can't see it. It can only be overcome by the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts. So while we may not have been saved from a lifestyle of worshiping idols and pagan temples, we do still live in a culture riddled with competing demonic spiritualities and philosophies. And all week long, these competing demonic spiritualities and philosophies are shaping our worldview, shaping our thinking. So we're not all that different from the Corinthians here. Worldviews, philosophies, fads, uh, as expressed through entertainment and media and educational systems, often are just tools in the hands of our enemy to veil the eyes of people to the glory of Jesus Christ, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So while we have all these spirits chattering through these different mediums all week long, the Holy Spirit is the only spirit that promotes the lordship of Jesus Christ in the hearts of people. We need to beware as Christians of turning to other disciplines outside of Christianity for soul-level help. Now, I'm not saying anything that doesn't have a Bible verse attached to it is automatically wrong or evil. There's such a thing as general revelation, and uh, there's such a thing as the image of God in people, and, and much of what people do 
is good in that sense. But beware of when you are looking for soul-level help and truth of going outside of God's word to find it. Because there is a God of this world who is working subtly and cleverly to try to veil our eyes to the glory of Jesus Christ and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Submission to Jesus' lordship is absolutely essential and central to everything about Christianity. Submission to Jesus Christ's lordship is not the same as attending church. You can absolutely attend church without ever submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ, without ever saying from the heart, Jesus is Lord, and following that with a life of obedience and submission to him. This idea of lordship means absolute ownership rights. And when you become a Christian, when you truly put your life and your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you're not only receiving forgiveness, you're receiving a new Lord, a new authority, a new boss, as I think I've heard Rhonda put it with the kids. And you're no longer living for yourself. As Paul said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. I am no longer the Lord of my life. Jesus Christ is. That's what it means to be a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can't be saved without that. You know, I have shared with you many times, and I'll share with you now, and I'll share with you again, my grave concern that many among us in our church and in all of our churches are merely church people and not born-again, regenerated, saved followers of Jesus Christ, submissively obedient to his lordship. If Jesus' authority has no effect on your day-to-day living, it is a bad sign. So we have to pause here before we even get into the details of spiritual gifts and ask ourselves, who is the Lord of my life? What influences are guiding your life? Now, I know you're here this morning and you're in church, but when you're out there and you're at work and with your family, making purchasing decisions, uh, in conversations with people, what is the governing authority in how you conduct yourself and what your goals are? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it the lifestyle you saw on HGTV last night? Or is it the magazine article you read yesterday? Or is it the blog post you read last week that has nothing to do with his lordship? What is the governing authority over your life? It must be Jesus Christ because he is the Lord. It's not that you decide whether he is or not. It's if you will submit to the fact that he is. He is the Lord. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. One day we'll all know it. The Holy Spirit is the only spirit that promotes Jesus' lordship in the hearts of people. Uh, For some of you, this right now may be the only input you've received all week telling you the truth that Jesus is the Lord. Through your conversations and your car radio and your MP3 player and your um, blog feed and everything else, you've been receiving other messages that other things are primary and other things are the most important things. This might be the only place where you'll hear the most important truth. Jesus is Lord. 
Do you know it? Do you submit to it? Who is on the throne of your heart? We have to start here before we can even begin to think about spiritual gifts. We have to start here with Jesus' lordship. And that may be where many of you need to remain in praying your way into submission, into his lordship throughout the rest of this service. And spiritual gifts will be something to think about later. But you can't move past this without dealing with this. Jesus is Lord. You know, I, I told you before, early on in my adult life, or actually I think I may have still been a teenager, I worked at a warehouse with a lot of Pentecostal Christians. Um, some of the greatest Christians I'll ever know, and some others. Um, and some of those others were all about speaking in tongues. That's all they cared about when it came to Christianity. That's all they wanted to know about me. You know, have you spoken in tongues? Do you speak in tongues? But their life, as I got to know them, revealed that they were in no way submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, which to me invalidates any, any experience of the Holy Spirit that they claim because the first level of experiencing the Holy Spirit is I see that Jesus is Lord and I give myself to him. Spiritual gifts, spiritual fruit comes after that and only after that. So the first observation, understanding spiritual gifts starts with the lordship of Jesus Christ. The second, spiritual gifts have a variety of expressions in the church. Spiritual gifts have a variety of expressions in the church. Look with me at verses 4 through 7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. You know, spiritual gifts can be a confusing subject when you really begin to look into it scripturally and think about it. When you think about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to think about like superpowers. Like, you know, somebody might be like Aquaman and someone else is like Superman and someone else is like Batman. It's not like Christian superpowers. Think of it more in terms of God-empowered service, and activity for the common good of the church. I think spiritual gifts usually present themselves in very mundane ways, but God-empowered ways. So think of spiritual gifts as God-empowered service and activity for the common good of the church. What does a spirit-filled church look like? I think in part it looks like a church humming with a variety of, of distinct God-empowered service and activities. Now, I don't mean a church busy with programs, although it may lead to that programmatic stuff. What I mean is a people who are driven internally by God himself to serve and act as part of the church in a million different ways, in a great variety of different ways. Look at verses 7 through 10. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. 
All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Notice in there, each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Each. You know, many of you may have been watching the Olympics lately. The Olympics, by far, are mainly a spectator sport. Most people will never compete on an Olympic level. Anybody in here ever competed on an Olympic level in any event? No. You competed on an Olympic level on something? Okay. I'll look forward to hearing about that later. And I think most people are very doubtful in the sincerity about that. The church is not like the Olympics where we sit back and we watch the greats, we watch the Billy Grahams, and we watch the whoever you love. The church is more like field day at an elementary school where everybody is out there swarming about. Everybody is on the field. Okay, there, there are no spectators in the church. Each one is given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. So you, just to make sure we take the step of getting this down to, to us, you, if you are a Christian and have given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and have received the Holy Spirit, you have been given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. No matter how introverted you are or extroverted you are, no matter how educated you are or uneducated you are, no matter how charismatic you are or not charismatic you are, no matter if you're the life of the party or the one in the corner uh, shivering with social anxiety, no matter if you're rich or poor, everybody, each one given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. Now, that phrase, a manifestation of the Spirit, um, basically that just means this is how the Holy Spirit is made visible. To be manifest is to be made visible, to be made plain and where you can see it and almost touch it. You can think of it like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. Wind becomes manifest in how the trees sway. Okay, the Holy Spirit becomes manifest in the church and how the people sway and how the people serve and work and are active because of his prompting in our hearts. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another by faith the same Spirit, I'm sorry, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another this, to another that, to another one this. The idea is that your, your spiritually empowered service and place in the church is probably not going to look like anybody else's. To one is given this to be and do, to another is given this to be and do, to another given this to be and do. And this works well against um, comparing ourselves to people. I don't know if you struggle with comparing yourselves to other people. But there's no point in it because whoever you're comparing yourself to has probably just been giving, given a completely different calling in the church. I tend to do this. Um, I am a, a more of an introverted kind of guy with kind of a mild personality. 
I have to think things to death before I'll make a, a definitive statement about anything. And then I have friends like Travis Hutchison, who he's way more extroverted, much more energized by people. He can make a decision like that, and it's right, which blows my mind. He didn't do any of the arduous research that I would need to do. And I compare myself to guys like that, and I think I will never be a good pastor until I'm like that. And it's been very hard for me lately because of these kinds of comparisons, and this has been such a freeing passage. You know, to him was given that kind of giftedness and role. To me is given this kind of giftedness and role. And to you is given yours. And there's no sense in comparing yourself to anybody else. Just enjoy what you've been given to do and be. And it works against comparing ourselves to other churches. Have you ever driven by a church and they've got like 75 different banners of all the awesome stuff they're doing? And you think, man, by the time you finally get past the 75th banner, you think, I'm part of a loser church. Well, to that church has been given those people. That, each church is like a unique variety pack of Christianity. And that church has that variety pack of gifts and callings. And our church has our variety pack of gifts and callings. Now, I'm not saying that we have fully um, lived up to the potential of all that the Lord has gifted us with. I think we have much room to grow and do. But there's no sense in comparing ourselves to any other church because that's them and we're us. And God is such an awesome God that he can make each individual Christian absolutely unique. And then he can compile these absolutely unique Christians into absolutely unique local congregations. And they can each look different and glorify him from a slightly different angle. And it's beautiful and wonderful. Every Christian has, at all times, a unique God-empowered niche in which to serve. And yet, and this gets to our final observation, and yet, with all this diversity and variety, there's unity. And there's unity because spiritual gifts have a single source. So spiritual gifts have a variety of expressions in the church, but... They have a single source. Now, you might be disappointed by the time I reach the end of this sermon that I'm not really going to comment on these specific spiritual gifts. And you might be wondering, what about speaking in tongues? Is that something we're supposed to be doing? Or is that something that passed with the church age and, and is not happening anymore? What does he believe about prophecy? Are prophets still active in the church? I'd love to talk with you about that sometime. And I'll give you, okay, I will give you a short explanation of what I think. But the main reason I'm not going into it is that's that's just not what this is about. These gifts are listed just as examples of Paul's greater point. Um, But because if I were in your seat, I would be really curious to know what my pastor or preacher thought. I think the Holy Spirit could empower any one of us to do anything anytime he wants. If he wants me to start prophesying in tongues right now, let it be. Uh, I have never experienced that, uh, but I don't have any doubt that he could. And I don't start from a place of skepticism if people do say that they've experienced these spiritual gifts. Um, But like I said, that's just not the point of what he's saying right here. I think later in chapter 12 and into 13 and on, we might get some more substance to think through that a little better. But for here, his point is not which spiritual gifts are what and who gets what. His point is that in all this variety, there is a single source, and therefore we are united. Think back to verses 1 through 3. He's saying, you used to be led astray by all these different mute idols. 
And I'm reminding you that there is a single spirit that is true. The Holy Spirit, the only spirit that promotes the lordship of Jesus Christ. So from this worldview of many, many spirits to follow and think about, one Holy Spirit that unites us. And then his contrast in verses 4 through 6 of the varied expressions, yet the single source. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and every one. And then even look at really what is the focus of the verses after that, starting at verse 8. He lists out these different gifts, but you can see through his repetition of similar phrases that that's not his main point. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And then he caps it off in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. So the big idea is there's one Holy Spirit. There's one source for spiritual vitality and strength in the church. And therefore, we're united, and there's never a need to be divided by different competing spiritualities of the world. It's the same source of power. There in verse 6 and in verse 11, he, mentioned, he mentions empowerment. Verse 6, varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That word empower just means he works it. He makes it happen. He energizes it. If there is to be any spiritual service done among us, it will be God working it out in us. If there is to be any spiritual activity among us, it will be the Spirit energizing it. If we're going to be a spirit-filled church, a spiritual church, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be the ones making it happen. They will be the source. Yeah, I was helping my aunt move some furniture yesterday, and we had to replace one base that she had her entertainment stuff sitting on with another. And we tried to do it without having to unplug anything because she had a TV, a DVD player, a VCR, a cable box, a Wii, all set up. And what we were replacing was another TV to be the base. And so we had all these electronics. She wanted them all hooked up at the same time. There was this massive tangle of cords. But if you followed them, they all led to one shared same power source. And that's kind of the way the church is. You may be a TV. You may be a VCR. You may be a DVD player. You may be a Wii. You may be yet another older TV. But if you're going to work spiritually, you have to be plugged into the one same power source, the Holy Spirit. Now, we can be frenzied and go about all kinds of activities as a church and do lots of stuff. But if it is going to have eternal spiritual benefit to it, it's going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is huge because this, is, this means that the same God who created the universe, is the God that creates the church. This means the same God who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence works through us when we are speaking his word. This means the same God that raised Jesus from the dead 
works through our everyday evangelism efforts of sharing the gospel to raise the spiritually dead. There's immense power here among us. So we're all different uh, across our different churches, churches especially. There's a huge variety of types of Christians with different gifts and callings and services and activities. And yet we share the same power source. Jesus is our shared Lord, and the Spirit empowers us each for the common good of the church. So I want to close with some questions. Now, three observations were that understanding the spiritual gifts starts with the lordship of Jesus Christ. Spiritual gifts have a variety of expressions in the church. And spiritual gifts share one same power source. And I'll close with these questions. First and foremost, are you surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ? I believe you know if you are or not. And some of you right now need to come face to face with the fact that you're not. And you need to resolve to do nothing else until you deal with that. You've been living your life your own way. And you're here perhaps trying to sprinkle some Christian Febreze on top of the spiritual rot. And it's not going to work. And you're going to go from here enslaved to the same sins. You're going to go from here confused and tangled up in the same competing spiritualities and worldviews. I want to invite you right now to turn your life over to Jesus Christ as your Lord. Receive the forgiveness of your sins. And live a new life following him as your Lord. Resolve to pray your way into this. And talk with a Christian, me or someone that you know better than me, about it immediately after the service. There is nothing more important than this. Another question. Are you led by the Holy Spirit or by the various spiritual influences of the world? What is primarily informing your way of seeing life? When your soul is in need, do you turn to God through the word, through prayer, through fellowship, or other avenues? Are you part of the fellowship of the church? Serving by the Spirit's power and direction. I find it hard to believe that anybody could have the Holy Spirit and not be drawn into fellowship in the church because that is where most of these spiritual gifts find their fulfillment. I feel like you would just always have this burning um, lack of fulfillment in your heart if you weren't a part of a fellowship in the church. And I don't just mean coming to church. I mean being a part of the fellowship, being ingrained into the lives of people so that you can serve and Act and encourage and speak truth and pray. And Let's close now in prayer. Father, you've given us your word. And I, I'm speechless at the thought that when your word goes forth, it accomplishes your purposes. Just like when it went forth in creation, it accomplished creation. Lord, I pray that as it has gone forth today, that in our hearts it would accomplish new creation. 
and that those unsaved would be saved, and that those saved would be stirred up with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. That we would all be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ together. That we would all serve and be active with your power through your Holy Spirit and his gifts to us. In Jesus' name, amen.